All right, good morning again, familia. It is my uh, pleasure today to introduce uh, to you the speaker that we have for today. His name is Paco Amador. Uh, I've known Paco for quite a few years already. Um, and I think it's important that you know a few things about him before he preaches the word of God. Number one, the most important one is that he's turning 50 today. So, yeah. As you clap, you got to know that he's over and over and over the hill. Paco is one of those Christians that I call hardcore Christians. He loves the church. He loves the Bible. He loves the Lord. And he lives radically for the Lord. Um, before becoming a pastor, he was a teacher in elementary education. And then he was, uh, or before that, he was a missionary in Spain. Uh, him and Sylvia, his wife, they love children so and so much that they have seven of them. Worthy of admiration, Sylvia. Um, in 2005, Paco understood that the Lord was calling him to full-time church ministry. And he's been, uh, since then, one of the pastors for New Life Community Church in Little Village, Chicago. Um, now, if you were here last week, you heard that we had, a, we, we had a speaker that had a pretty cool accent, if you were here last week. Now, if you thought that that was a cool accent, wait until you hear this one. Please welcome Paco to the podcast. And I'm, I feel a little bit better. Thank you so much. Hey, uh, I bring um, great greetings uh, from uh, a lot of people throughout the city, from our congregation, of course, uh, but also uh, from Wheaton Bible alumni throughout the city. Uh, everywhere we go, it seems, everywhere I go throughout the city, it seems that people with your DNA who were born here, little kids, grew up, are now engaged in mission in the most creative places throughout our city. And uh, so I bring greetings from them as well, but also from partner friends who've learned from your generosity and from your example as ministries throughout the city. And I want to thank you also and bring greetings from them. And uh, ultimately, probably most importantly, from people who have been blessed by your ministry, whether you know it or not. It's just like domino effect, one thing falling after another, and you've ended up blessing people that you might never even know or even know that they have been blessed by you. And so I want to say thank you. And what an honor to be here with you. I want to invite you to go with me to Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16 through 21. Luke chapter 4, 16 through 21. The Bible says that Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Shabbat, Shabbat, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. On rolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, jubilee. And then he rolled back, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. So dramatic in this moment. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. 
he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The title for my message is A People Called Jubilee. God's jubilee has arrived into our world, and you and I are also God's jubilee people. Would you close your eyes with me for a moment? So Father, Son, Holy Spirit, come and baptize us with a fresh new fire. Come, God, and baptize us with a fresh new love for you and for people. Come, Holy Spirit, and teach us to be people that pray, that serve, and that speak close by and far away. In Jesus' name, send us out, God, with your fire. Amen. Jubilee. So when God gave uh, his people the law, he also gave them a lot of practices and festivities. And one of those festivities was the year of Jubilee. So for 49 years, seven times seven, God loves the number seven. That's why I decided to have seven kids. And um, so seven times seven, you would get 49. And at the, throughout the 49 years, God meant for his people to do life, you know, shop and sell and work and build and do here and do there. But on the year, on the 50th year, on the day of Yom Kippur, on the day of atonement, the silver trumpet would ring. And that's exactly what jubilee means. Jubilee means ram's horn. As the trumpet would ring throughout all of Israel, three things would happen. Number one, all of deaths would be forgiven. Let me say it again. All of deaths would be forgiven. Any men out there? Anybody with a mortgage? Anybody with college loans? Anybody with like car payments? All of deaths forgiven absolutely clean. Amen. Every slave, people who had indebted and having to work a payment would be released. And finally... Or family property that maybe had to be partitioned, given out, paid debt or some would be fully restored back to people, to the rightful initial owners. The result was great joy throughout all of Israel. God's intention was for there to be amazing relief throughout all of people. Imagine, for example, that one day you, you know, I'm dumb, and so I challenge you to a game of 21. I think I can actually shoot, and so um, game of 21, and of course, by the time you get, you get to 21, I'm just at 10 or so. And so we finish, and I'm a little sore, and I'm a little, you know, bitter, and so I go and practice all the time, and I challenge you again to a game of 21, and you tell me, yeah, I'll pay you again 21, but we'll keep our original score. So as you beat me a second time, by the time you get to 42, I'm, or, I'm only in 20. And if we continue to play with the same schedule, you keeping your same score and me keeping my same score, I will never, ever be able to catch up with you. Imagine for a moment an African-American young man 
You look at him, he's got great power, great energy, and you say, man, what an amazing young man. But you are thinking that you both are in the same plane level. Well, maybe none of his family has ever owned a house or had a bank account or ever gone to college and finished college. Well, you've been for generations being part of a people who've always had a college education, always owned homes, always had businesses, and you think that you're in plain level, but you're not. And God meant for no human to ever be permanently an underclass. God meant for no human to ever be homeless or even countryless. God meant for there never to be a human who would become property slave. And so he gave us the year of jubilee. I do have sad news, though. In the history of, um, of the Jewish nation, uh, there's a little bit of debate about this, but most likely Israel never practiced jubilee. Never. I mean, it must have been, you know, I mean, you guessed it, because the people that were in power, the richer they got, the stronger they got, uh, the more that the 50th year was coming over, and maybe they decided, you know, God didn't mean it literally. Maybe God meant it metaphorically to give us jubilee in the heart. And uh, really, truly, might have been, because, hey, the richer I am, the more powerful I am, it would not be advantageous for me to be par and par with someone who I see as lower than me. So when the nation of Israel was broken, ripped from within, and exiled, in the midst of their exile, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61, gave this prophecy. One day, Messiah would come, and he will finally bring about God's jubilee. Every gospel writer in the New Testament, had the opportunity of choosing how to introduce Jesus' public ministry. And Luke, who's the only Greek pagan among all the gospel, the gospel writers, decides he's native of Antioch, decides to tell us, as he's introducing the ministry of Jesus publicly, he decides to, t to show us Jesus bringing jubilee. Today, Jesus says, the year of God's favor, the year of God's jubilee has finally arrived. It's no longer a year, it's a person who's bringing God's jubilee. And what's great news, and Luke would develop this idea throughout his two books, is that this jubilee is not just for Jews, it's for everyone. Amen. I still remember the day Jubilee came into my life. As an immigrant living here in the States, I remember I blamed God for the sad situation of my life. And I still remember the place, the day when I finally quit cursing God. And I said, God, help me. Instead of hands open to God, raised to God, I opened my hands and I said, help me, God. And God's Jubilee flooded into my life. In so many ways. One day I hated the Bible. I tried to read it. So boring. The next day I thought, this is amazing. The one thing that took longer was my relationship with my dad. 
even after having graduated from high school, I ended up here in Chicago at Moody Bible Institute. And I was talking to my roommate about Christmas break and our plans. And I said, hey, I'm going back to Mexico for Christmas. He said, oh, man, that's so cool. Are you looking forward to it? And I said, yes, except I don't want to see my dad. You know, I hate him. And at that moment, my, my friend, he's a really good friend, he looked at me. He said, hey, tell me one good thing about your dad. And I told him, I can't think of one good thing about my dad. He said, see, that's the problem. It's no longer on your dad. The problem is you now. Because he at least raised you. And I like you, and I think you're a great person, and so at least he's done one good thing. The fact that you can't tell me any good thing about him, that's no longer on him, that's on you. And I remember the Holy Spirit just knocking at the door of my heart with Jubilee, but I would not let him come in. During that season leading up to Christmas, God did a work in my life, softening my heart. As I have forgiven you, forgive freely. I remember walking into the airport of my hometown in Mexico and seeing my dad far away. And we walked to each other. And it was almost as if God had been doing the same work in his life. Because he hugged me and I hugged him. And we wept and cried for like seemed to me hours. It felt like years of pain and years of bitterness were just going out into my tears as I hugged them. And he hugged me back. And we stood there, people walking by next to us. And I remember feeling, if this is what Jubilee feels like, I want it all. I want more of this. And I want the world to experience this kind of Jubilee. Go back to the Gospels. Jesus resurrected on the day of the festival of first fruits. When the rabbi would walk into the temple and present early Sunday morning, present the, the, uh, the offering of first fruits. At that very moment, Jesus was coming back to life. And if you count 49 days from that moment, in essence, another jubilee. No longer years, but days. On the, 50th year from, on the 50th day from that moment, on the day when the Jewish people would celebrate the birth of their nation with the giving of the law at the foot of Mount Sinai, on the Jewish day on Pentecost, the impossible happened. God himself came and indwelled and showered his people with his spirit. And crazy things began to happen. Another jubilee. The Bible tells us that the people of God just became this countercultural people. And they started praising God and the new church was beautiful and there was the, the apostles would preach and teach everyone. And there was no poor among them because people that had more, they would grab their finances, they would sell them and they would give everything. So I put it at the apostles' feet so that they would spread it out among everybody. And the church was amazing, except for one problem. Jesus had told them to go, to go to other places, and nobody wanted to go. Because the next, day, the next place where they needed to go was to cross the street to visit those Samaritans. And nobody wanted to cross the street to visit the Samaritans and give jubilee to them. And so in chapter 8, verse 1, Luke tells us that there arose a great persecution. And everyone except the apostles 
were spread out everywhere. And then in verse 4, he tells us, and wherever the disciples went, they weren't feeling sorry about themselves. The Bible tells us that they preached the gospel wherever they went. These jubilee people just became a crazy kind of people. And then he tells us the story beginning in chapter 8, verse 5, of Philip who went into the city of Samaria. And as he arrived into the city of Samaria, he preached good news. And the Bible tells us that he freed the captives. I love the way in which Luke puts it. It says, with shrieks. Like, yeah! I mean, you know how it is when you're worshiping here and reading Bible and demons start coming. Yeah! With shrieks, they would come out. And people would be free. And the sick were healed. And then he finishes by saying, listen to how Luke puts it. Acts chapter 8, verse 8. And so there was great joy in that city. And so there was great joy in that city. What he's saying is Jesus' jubilee has arrived into among the Samaritans. Are you kidding me? The hated enemies to the north have experienced God's amazing jubilee. That's the power of our jubilee inheritance. As Jesus was training his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, he tells them this. Heal the sick. Go. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received, so freely give. I don't think we would be too far off to, trend, to kind of paraphrase those words by saying, Jubilee you have received, Jubilee give wherever you go. I've had a great time this last weekend visiting uh, with uh, the team of Puente del Pueblo. And those are amazing folks. I mean, Matthew and Rosie and Saul, a bunch of them. And uh, I think I need to tell you, you know, seeing the many languages that are happening in this building, people praising Jesus in multi-languages throughout this building, and um, soccer events, and many other things that you do throughout the area, I need to tell you, and I need to congratulate you, because you have indeed spread great joy into West Chicago. Well, I truly do want to encourage you, though, I mean also to push you further. Because there's plenty more desperate need for Jubilee throughout all of this area. Amen? So I want to finish by giving you three challenges. I want to challenge you and push you further into at least three areas. The first area that I want to push you in as you walk out of this place is to think deeply about how to deal with sin that has brought brokenness between you and someone else. Someone who has sinned against you or you have sinned against them and now you're no longer in speaking terms. I would never forget this one guy who gave his life to the Lord on Sunday at our church. And so I invite him to our, me and somebody else, we invite him to our small group of men for Tuesday that same week. And so he came on Tuesday. He's never done anything like this. I mean, this encounter that he had with Jesus was amazing. And so he's there on, on Tuesday night and 
typically around eight to ten guys sitting around the table. And so I always begin small group by asking people, hey, uh, is there anything that is over, overly burdening you? Or is there anything, anything that you're celebrating and you just want to share it? And so he was the first one that raised his hand and thought, man, that's great engagement. I love this guy. And he said, well, I've never been to anything like this. And I don't know how to go about this, but I just want to say one thing. And then he looks at the guy that's sitting across from him. Now, I didn't know that they knew each other from way back in the day. And he looks at him and he says, you were the reason why my wife left me. And I'm like thinking, ooh, how can we roll back? <laughs> like, like, oh, let's sing a song or something. And uh, somebody pray. Or, and, um, and then he said something like this. He said, but I don't know what's happened to me. These last couple of days, and I just want to say to you, everything is forgiven. I thought, wow, that's supernatural people of God. That can only happen by the Spirit anointing people and saying, this is the humans who have been taken over by God's jubilee. As you have been freely forgiven, freely forgive those who have sinned against you. Is there someone you can finally forgive? Let him out of prison. Is there someone that you must repent before? The second way in which I want to challenge you is in debt. The Aramaic word that Jesus used for sin was also the same word. That it's exactly the same word for debt. So in other words... Jesus used the same word for sin and for dead. Around 20 years ago in our community, then the community to the north of us is an African-American community. And um, the pastor and the church uh, had strong foresight to start saving an amount of money that would continue to grow in their church to the point that they were able to purchase homes and help their, their, their congregation become first-time homeowners. And that money kept on growing and growing. And when our building, um, when we actually were looking for a building, they helped us to buy the building cash. And then, in essence, they became our mortgage company, which I, we really loved. And so every single month we would be paying them faithfully for many years. Around eight, nine years ago, the pastor called me. And he said, hey, come on over. Let's go ahead and have a time together. And so I always love hanging out with this brother. So we're sitting there in his office talking and chit-chatting. And at the end of it, he said, hey, before you leave, and I gave him the, the check for the mortgage. And, and he said, hey, before we, you leave, I, I want to tell you that our elders were sitting around thinking. And we were looking at the books. And um, we realized that you've been paying faithfully the mortgage that you owe us. And you're down to like two-thirds of the mortgage. And, um, and we decided, he grabbed the check, and he just cut it right in front of me. He said, we've decided to just forgive you your debt completely. It's back to zero. He gave me the title. And I remember receiving it and thinking, I don't know what's happening. I don't understand this. I mean, this is America, isn't it? Like, what? what? And, you know, I know we're believers, but, you know, like, uh, and... And as I walked out of his office into a big avenue that's right there, I remember just, I was filled with tears. I was, I was like in the daze, and, and my mouth was repeating something that I hadn't caught on to. It was like saying, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. And 
as I walked out into the light of the street, I remember thinking, I've heard those words before somewhere. <laughs> and then it hit me. It's Jesus saying, and forgive us our debts like we also forgive those who are indebted to us. I want to ask you, I wonder, is there someone that you can grant forgiveness of debt? Is there someone that you're suing that you could just turn around and give them jubilee and say, you know, forget it. I'm dropping the suit completely. And then conversely, is there anyone that you owe a debt to? During these last couple of days in Chicago, we're in a, uh, the teachers are in strike. I used to be a teacher. And so somebody in the Little Village page, where, uh, Facebook page, posted, hey, send a shout out for a teacher. And I was a teacher for a decade. And I got a, a letter from, from someone saying, I never told you this, Mr. Amador. Your teaching made a difference in my life. And that's what I'm doing now as an older man. I remember thinking that thing made such a dent in my heart. Is there someone that you owe to that? Even just say thank you. I never thanked you. Finally, I want to invite you to think about a third way. Sin to deal with, debt that you can forgive. When Jesus told them, heal the sick, raise the dead, he also mentioned cleanse those who have leprosy. And here's the problem about cleansing those who have leprosy, is that you can't clean something that you don't touch. What Jesus was saying is, touch the lepers. And to touch the lepers, you have to experience personal sacrifice and faith. There's no one in our community that's more like, um, like a leper than gangbangers. Uh, people are walking down the street and they, they see a group of young people that look like gangbangers. They will literally do what people in Jesus' time would do to lepers. They would cross the street and ignore them and pretend that they never saw them. Like never make eye contact. So many years ago when I was starting as a, as a pastor, um, I remember that I got a call and somebody had been killed, a young man had been killed, and somebody in our congregation doing street outreach called me and said, hey, would you be able to come and, uh, and pray for the family of this young man that was killed? And so I said, sure, I'll go and pray for him. And so the day when I got there, around 4 o'clock in the morning, uh, I mean in the afternoon, I got there to pray for, this, uh, for the family of this young man right outside his house. And I realized that there's like 40 or 50 young gangbangers Oh, most of them, men, women, and they're looking down, they're sad, clearly depressed. And I remember thinking, I wonder what's happening. And so I got there and talked to Matt, and I asked him, hey, hey Matt, what's going on? And he said, well, you, <laughs> aren't you going to pray? I'm like thinking, oh, I didn't think this was what I was coming to. And so he said, well, whenever you want to start, he said, well, what should I say? He's like, I don't know, you're the pastor. <laughs> like, uh, and then he said, Tell him whatever God puts in your heart. And so they're all gathering around. There's candles in the middle. I went in the middle, prayed, God, what would you say to this young man? It almost as if clearly God spoke into my heart saying, they've heard it all. From parents, from the dean at school, from the police. Everybody around them had told them how stupid they are, how broken they are, how they should stoop, stop doing everything. 
Like they've heard it all. But they haven't heard me. And I sense the Holy Spirit saying, give them what they never expect. Give them grace. And as I stood there, I'm like thinking, I've never spoken to any of these, any group like this ever. And so, but the one thing I realized is most of them look like half my age. In other words, I am their father's age. And so I stood there and I asked them, hey, would you, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, would you, I see that you're half my age. I'm probably the age of your dad. Can I speak to you right now as if I was your father? And some of them actually looked up. A couple of them probably glared at me. And then I started with fear and trembling in my heart saying, my son, my daughter, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me for not being there when you most needed me? Would you forgive me for always looking tired when, I, when you were around me and wanted to play ball? And I, I was preoccupied with many other things. And the further I went, the more I just got caught in the moment. And I, at some moment, I did what I never imagined I would do. I started weeping in front of them. And at some point, I just said, would you forgive me? I think it all, it all comes back to me. I could have been a better father. I closed my eyes, and at some moment, I opened my eyes, and all of the sudden, there's big, this big, young, tall man in front of me. He had tears in his eyes, and he just spread his arms. And I hugged him. I said, I love you, my son. Forgive me. And then a line formed right behind me. For the next 15, 20 minutes, I had the opportunity of hugging each one of these young men. I've seen them now throughout the street, and they call me, and they say, hey, Dad, they say sometimes, hey, Pastor, every single time I see him, like, hey, I, Pastor. I would never forget the day in which Jesus taught me. Touch and presence is probably the most important ministry you can ever have in this place. I want to challenge you. There's a world outside these doors desperately hungry for Jubilee. Let's go out and give them what they could never expect, what the world could never give them. Let's give them Jesus. Let's give them Jubilee. Would you close your eyes with me for a moment? If you want to open your hands in front of you before God, the words of Jesus for us as we finish this message. Jesus said, blessed are all of you who are lousy at being spiritual. Don't even know how to start. Because my kingdom was tailor-made for you. Blessed are you who weep. Because in my kingdom you will find me who can finally take all of your tears away. Blessed are you, the meek. Instead of the powerful, those who are strong and want to take the world by storm, those who know how to kneel down and pray, blessed are you because you will receive the earth as your inheritance from your heavenly Father. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for justice. You've given up on the systems of this world to bring true justice. Blessed are you because when you hear about my kingdom, you will be fully satisfied. Blessed are you who give mercy to those, especially to those 
who do not deserve mercy. Because you will receive mercy when you most need it. Blessed are you who work hard at keeping the window of your heart clean. Because you will be able to see my fingerprints working inside of you and outside of you all around your world where you least expect it. Blessed are you who work for peace. Instead of competition and I'm better than you and we're number one. Because you will. People will see in you your father's DNA. They will call your father. They will call you children of God. Blessed are you who are persecuted for living out for my justice. Because you will know finally my kingdom has come into your life. Come, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.